Hello, and welcome to episode 28 of The Jared White Show, recorded April 16th, 2019. I'm your host, Jared White, and I invite you to join me in a curated celebration of the art form that is the web. Oh boy, I have been busy, 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 busy. So much going on right now. Uh, I don't want to rehash all the reasons why this episode is coming out late. Uh, I wrote an article basically explaining what's going on, and you can read that article. The link is in the show notes called, Oh, That Kind of New Year. Uh, Long story short, I'm recording this out of a new office and studio that I have in Portland, close to downtown. It's very, very exciting. It's a huge stretch financially, and it was not something I was planning to do at this time in this first half of the year, Uh, but there are a bunch of reasons why events transpired to bring me to this place. And now that I'm here, I'm very thankful. I have a lot to do to get a proper studio set up for video content production and all kinds of stuff. Uh, I am working out of this office for my web design business because that basically just requires a little desk and computer setup. Uh, much, much less to do there. So I'm busy working for a bunch of clients and uh, it's just been kind of crazy. But I'm hoping to get back on a regular cadence here, uh, episodes 29 and beyond. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. I will try my best. Um, it's been busy in the news too. There's been a lot going on in the, the world of media uh, all the Apple announcements a few weeks ago, and then uh, Disney Plus and all the announcements from Disney about their upcoming streaming services, uh, Star Wars news, just a whole bunch of stuff. I'm going to cover some of that in this episode. Um, not too much of the Apple services, actually. Um, basically, nothing is available right now except for Apple News Plus, uh, which is their paid subscription version of Apple News. It has magazines and a couple newspapers. Um, I've written a little bit about that on my blog so far. Again, you can find that link in the show notes. Uh, I'm really liking Apple News Plus overall. It has some weird kind of UX issues that are puzzling to me. But the content that's there, what you get, what's provided is pretty stellar. Uh, I love all of the new formats of articles, not the sort of old school PDF kind of things. That's You know, that's kind of weird, and I feel like Apple's going to be trying to phase that out as quickly as they can. Um, But the new interactive, you know, kind of web-style magazine content formats uh, in Apple News Plus are are really, really great. And it's not just great on the iPad. I mean, it's really, really great on the iPad. I love reading these big, beautiful, glossy magazine-style layouts on my iPad. But uh, they're really nice on the iPhone, and that's what's most surprising to me about Apple News Plus. They, they actually started to roll it out in the keynote by showing screenshots of how it looks on the iPhone. And, you know, that's kind of smart because, you know, as much as I would recommend anyone read a magazine on an iPad, not an iPhone, the reality is that so many people are on their phones and they're trying to check out things kind of on the go and throughout their day. And, you know, if they can get all their Apple News Plus content just right there on their phone, um, that's, that's pretty compelling. And so, uh, so yeah, I'm overall liking Apple News Plus. 
I think it's a huge, huge upgrade from sort of the old school way that Apple is trying to get magazines into the App Store through separate apps. So, you know, if you recall like Newsstand back in the day where you had all these different apps and you can go into different apps and they all had different interfaces and different subscription plans and it was kind of a mess. And I think that's why nothing really took off in that sort of format overall. Um, But this is different. You know, you pay Apple once per month, just a single subscription, and you get access within a single app to all of these different content sources, all of the different magazines and newspapers and such. Um, And as they add more providers, you know, as more magazines come on board and join the service, uh, you'll just get those. They'll just be available to you right off the bat. So I think that's pretty cool. And I'll definitely be subscribing myself. It's kind of a no-brainer for me because I really do like reading magazine kind of content. This is a great way to get it. So that's it for the meta segment. Uh, I didn't really announce that ahead of time because I didn't have anything uh, super interesting or profound to talk about in the meta segment. Just wanted to share those thoughts about Apple News+. Plus. So here we go on to the link segment. I have a ton of stuff here to cover. So let's get right to it. First up, uh, there was really, really awesome news recently about the release of a photo of a black hole. Well, it's not really a photo. It's like a composite image generated by a huge amount of data that was collected over a long period of time simultaneously by various telescopes throughout the entire planet. Yes, they created a planet-wide radio telescope to try to gather data on a potential black hole. And they collected enough data and ran enough of a specialized algorithm that they were able to obtain a composite image that shows uh, material glowing, revolving around a black hole. And this image has been all over the internet by now. I'm sure you've seen it. It's pretty staggering. It's, it's, it's a major, major scientific achievement. But as is wont on the internet these days, no good news goes unpunished. Uh, one of the scientists behind this achievement, Katie Bowman, she is 29 years old, and she's a she- so that alone is interesting because I think the, the image of a scientist working on black holes is, you know, some middle-aged guy wearing a lab coat and glasses or something, off in some, some uh, corner of a research facility somewhere. But uh, here is Katie Bowman. She's young. She's a woman. And some people just, they, they can't wrap their heads around that, I think. It just, it doesn't compute. I've seen this time and time again in the world of programming, which I inhabit. Uh, you know, you get someone who's young and who's, you know, arguably attractive. And it's just like, oh, no, you can't actually be what you say you are. You can't be a real programmer. You can't be a real scientist. You can't be a real mathematician or, you know, whatever. It's just uh, this kind of sexism in in these fields is just nauseating to me. Uh, And it's even worse because, you know, I think subconsciously I've bought into that myself, like full disclosure here, like in the past, I'm really conscious of this now and trying to get over it as much as I can. But I think in the past, I too had sort of a, you know, 
cartoon question mark bubble over my head when I would encounter someone who's, you know, doing hardcore programming or some kind of technical thing. And it's like, oh, wow, like this person's a woman. <laughs> As if that is some kind of novelty. Yeah, it's just, it's terrible. And so this kind of thing really makes me mad. There's there's an article at The Verge about how uh, this sort of group of online trolls have been harassing Katie Bowman and trying to claim that she didn't really do much in this project, and it was silly to highlight her achievements, and some other guy did most of the work, they claim. And then, of course, the other guy came forth and said, this is a bunch of BS. Katie did a bunch of work on this, and she's awesome, and this is just completely nonsensical. Uh, anyway, you can read the article if you want to sort of get the drift of what's been going on. But, you know, uh, I, I'm just hoping like that this is a smaller and smaller little vocal minority dark corner of the Internet at this point of, you know, the people that just can't stand the idea that that a young woman can really do something awesome in a scientific field. I hope this is just, you know, a bunch of noise from a tiny minority. Uh, and hopefully that minority is growing smaller by the day because, you know, I have daughters. I am the parent of daughters, and I want them to have all the opportunities that they would have if they were boys. I, you know, I don't know if either of my daughters is particularly interested in science or technology. Um, you know, given that I am, I can certainly encourage that, but I don't want to, you know, force them into any path. I'm happy whatever they choose to do in life. Uh, but, you know, I definitely want them to feel like they can do what they're led to do. I don't want them to feel like, you know, they can't enter into a technical field because of, you know, the pressure of, you know, having to proving yourself just because you're a woman. I don't want them to have to deal with trolls and sexism and all this other garbage. So this kind of stuff really makes me steamed. Uh, I just hope, you know, we're we're sort of in a transitional little period of time here where you know it's the last gasp of the <laughs> of the cavemen sort of attitude here on the internet. Anyway, uh, moving along from black holes here, we get to. <laughs> I have no idea how to make this transition. That was terrible. Anyway, next article here is a Q and A with the author of a new book all about Apple CEO Tim Cook. The book is called Tim Cook: The Genius Who Took Apple to the Next Level. I'm really interested in this book. Uh, I definitely will be picking it up soon and reading through it. Um, I think this Q&A with the author is a really good overview of why he wrote the book and why he thinks Tim Cook is constantly underrated. And I tend to agree. I think a lot of people don't appreciate what Tim Cook has done at Apple, what his tenure there as CEO has, uh, has produced for Apple. I'm actually of the opinion that uh, most of the really great hardware and to a lesser extent software, but in some cases that's true as well. Uh, I think a lot of the great work that Apple has done since the early 2000s has actually been under Tim Cook's reign, not Steve Jobs. I think a lot of people have this very strange sort of, you know, rose-tinted glasses look at the past and they think, you know, Steve Jobs was, you know, the glory days of Apple, and that's all behind them now, and Tim Cook's just boring or misguided or whatever. Uh, I think that's total rubbish. Like, we have to go back and <laughs> look at the state of early iOS when Steve Jobs was still at the helm. Uh, there was a lot of strange design stuff going on in iOS in the early days, and it got weirder and weirder. Like, all the 
scalomorphism kind of stuff. That was not, you know, that was not the Tim Cook era of iOS. Um, and, you know, the, the best iPads that have ever been made by a large factor have been under Tim Cook's reign. I mean, you know, some of that, of course, is just the march of progress. I'm sure, you know, the iPads we would have today if Steve Jobs were still around and CEO would be fine. But, you know, go back to the state of the iPad in 2010 when it first came out or 2011. You know, it was barely like really what it is now. Like <laughs> it was kind of a novelty and a lot of people got them because it was so cool to have this tablet. Uh, and then a lot of people got frustrated about all the limitations of the iPad in those early days. And I think a lot of them, you know, that's I think that's why there was a huge slump in iPad sales after that initial explosion, because a lot of people got iPads and then realized, oh, there's a lot of things I can't actually do on an iPad. And people kind of went back to the, their old ways of using laptops and desktops so, you know, the era we're in now with the iPad Pro, with the advances in iOS, you know, the whole sort of, uh, you know, tablet first lifestyle, people like Federico Vitici promoting that, that's all happened in the Tim Cook era. And let's not even forget <laughs> another little product category called Apple Watch. There literally was no Apple Watch in the Steve Jobs era at all. So when anyone talks about, you know, oh, what Tim Cook's done at Apple, like, just look at the Apple Watch. That is an incredible product. And sure, I, I, I have no doubt that we're early prototypes of a watch type product uh, before the passing of Steve Jobs. But, you know, clearly Tim Cook is the guy that ran the Apple that produced the Apple Watch as we know it. And that is a really, really fantastic product. I mean, some people have said the Apple Watch is actually Apple's most important product from a sort of overall, like, look at the state of humanity sort of approach because uh, the Apple Watch is saving lives. The Apple Watch is literally saving lives. Like, not metaphorically like, oh, I was lost, but then I got this product and now it's given me a new lease on life. No, I'm talking about, like, people would have died if they had not had an Apple Watch because it's detected some kind of serious heart problem or they've been able to contact, you know, emergency services and they wouldn't have been able to do that with just a phone or some other thing. Uh, there, there's all kinds of stories out there like that of people, people's lives literally being saved from having an Apple Watch. And there's stories of people who have gone from having all kinds of you know, issues with their health, with, you know, weight issues or lack of exercise or what have you, and the Apple Watch has helped them, you know, get on an exercise program and monitor their activity throughout the day. And it's really changed their lives for the better. Um, I certainly know that to be true myself. The, the whole, you know, workout and activity ring system on Apple Watch uh, has really benefited me. It's really helped me stay more on track with my health and exercise program. And um, so, you know, I think I think the Apple Watch doesn't get the credit it deserves sometimes kind of out in the, the world of press or talking heads on the internet. And, and this is all under Tim Cook's watch. Tim Cook is the guy that brought Apple into the world of the smartwatch. And so, you know, for that alone, he deserves credit. Uh, I think he doesn't get enough credit for iOS post version 7. I know the, the transition from iOS 6 to 7 was pretty rocky, uh, but overall, I think, you know, this new era of iOS has been a major, major improvement over the pr previous era of iOS uh, 6 and before. Um, 
The Mac is an area where I think Tim Cook has stumbled a lot. Uh, I don't want to rehash all the reasons why, but uh, the Mac platform has really uh, kind of uh, limped along in some ways. So I think that's that's a knock against Tim Cook's leadership. Um, but there are a lot of signs that that ship's turning around. I think I think Apple as a company and Tim Cook and his leadership team. Uh, realize their mistakes. I think they know where they went wrong with the Mac uh, in the last couple years. They're turning that ship around. I think this year is going to be huge for the Mac in a lot of ways, both hardware and software. Um, and I think, you know, I think they're going to they're going to course correct here. We're we're starting to see that already. Um, so you know, certainly Tim Cook's leadership hasn't been perfect. There there are issues. Oh, I haven't even gotten into the whole privacy thing. Like Tim Cook's stance on privacy is is unparalleled in the tech industry right now. I mean, you look at Google, you look at Facebook, you look at Amazon, um, even Microsoft, you look at all these big tech companies, and nobody is taking the stance on privacy that Tim Cook is taking with Apple. I mean, just just look at the most recent event, the all the Apple services with Apple News and Apple TV Plus and, and the new Apple Pay card and the different all the different things like like they had a slide for every service where they emphasized, we respect your privacy, we've built security into this on every level, you know, encryption, anonymization of, of the data we collect, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you own your data, we don't own your data. Like all the talking points, they, they emphasize that over and over and over and over throughout the entire keynote. I've never seen a tech keynote of just, you know, various rollout of, of new products and services where there's this much emphasis on your user data privacy and your identity and and you know protecting that and security and all that like this this is really something so tim cook gets all the credit for that with his leadership and and i really think you know i, I think over time down the road as as historians debate the the relative merits of different eras at apple and the different leaders and so forth i think you know i think tim cook will come out pretty strong all right, next up is a bunch of Star Wars news. Uh, Star Wars Celebration just happened last week, and a whole bunch of news came out of that. The new trailer for the, the final movie in the Star Wars saga, Episode Nine, has a name. Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. And everyone's talking about what does that mean, but I think by far the most interesting thing to come out of all of these announcements is the return of... This battle station is fully operational. Yes, uh, your friend and mine. Return of Palpatine, the Emperor, the evil Sith Lord. Somehow, in some way, he is back. We don't know how, we don't know why, but for some reason, they have decided to bring the Emperor back. And we get to hear his cackle at the end of the trailer... Here's the weird thing, like that that happened right after a voiceover from Mark Hamill, presumably as Luke Skywalker, and for a moment I thought it was him laughing, and I thought it was this kind of weird, like, like what is is this Mark Hamill like being the Joker, the trickster? Like what what is this laugh? What is going on here? I I didn't quite get it at first, and then I 
kind of, you know, bopped around the internet for a moment and realized, oh, yeah, everyone's talking about this. That's not Mark Hamill. That's Ian McDermott. <laughs> He's back as Palpatine. And he came out on stage at Star Wars Celebration right after they played the trailer. And after rousing applause, he, he just said the single line, roll it again. <laughs> yeah, it was it was really funny. So uh, yeah, Palpatine's back. Um, I have a link in the show notes about some some thoughts on what does this mean. Um, another article that actually talks about how Kathleen Kennedy was interviewed and said that it was always part of their story plan to bring back Palpatine for episode nine. Like this was a story beat that they had in mind. They weren't sure how it was going to play out, but they definitely had that idea on the table, and it's definitely happening now. I th- I think this is good. I think this is a good move. A lot of people are concerned about, you know, this is just sort of rehashing, uh, you know, retreading old ground, old story ground. And, you know, here's J.J. Abrams again, just sort of repeating past story beats and not doing something new or novel. Um, but I think this is good for the single reason that if you look back at the 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 original trilogy and the prequel trilogy, the, the 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 two characters that really stand out through the whole thing, you know, both in terms of the acting and the storylines and so forth, are uh, Ewan McGregor as Obi Wan Kenobi and Ian McDermott as Palpatine. I mean, those are the characters that that work in that prequel trilogy. And, of course, Ian McDermott's performance as the Emperor in The Return of the Jedi is legendary. So, you know, if you're not going to have Obi-Wan in this final movie, which I don't know how anyway it would make sense to do that, if you're not going to have Obi-Wan, the only other character that you can bring back that, you know, has sort of been through the whole thing, top to bottom, is uh, is Ian McDermott as Palpatine. Uh, they are bringing back another old character, of course, which everyone knows and loves, Orlando Calrissian. He is back as well. Billy D. Williams. It was great to see him in a little snippet there in the trailer. Uh, I'm very excited about that. But um, but bringing back Pal- Palpatine in some way, you know, ties everything together. It has it brings in sort of a through line, and I think. You know, if if they can if they can make some kind of story arc here where where you know destroying Palpatine once and for all uh, sort of puts an end to the the storyline of the Skywalkers, you know, bringing balance back to the galaxy, that kind of thing. If they can, you know, if they can do that in a way that makes sense, I, I really don't have any idea <laughs> in a concrete way. Like, I can't give you a theory right now what's going to happen. Um, but I think, you know, I think they have the, the the potential here to to bring in the story arc for this last movie that kind of ties everything together and creates a through line through all three trilogies. Because this isn't just this isn't just the end of a trilogy. This is the end of a trilogy of trilogies. So this has to be a big end, a really big end. And I think, you know, doing something to deal with Palpatine once and for all and his legacy in the galaxy. You know, you, you could argue that the First Order is is just sort of remnants of the Empire. It's sort of, you know, Empire version two. And, you know, of course, we have Palpatine to thank for that Empire starting in the first place. So, you know, putting an end to this once and for all would be a huge rousing finale to this story arc. So, uh, so I'm pretty excited about this. I, I can't wait to see, you know, how they work out all those details and how it all makes sense. 
Um, that's not the only news coming from Disney. They've announced, uh, besides all the Star Wars stuff, they've announced their plans for Disney Plus. So, you know, Apple has Apple TV Plus coming out in the fall, and Disney has Disney Plus coming out in the fall. These are going to be two big new streaming services duking it out. Uh, clearly, Disney has a major advantage here with their huge back catalog and all of their intellectual property. I mean, you're going to get Pixar, you're going to get Marvel, you're going to get Star Wars, you're going to get, you know, the Disney brand itself, all of that content. You're going to get National Geographic. I mean, it's just staggering. <laughs> it's staggering the, the depth of the catalog that Disney can bring to their new streaming service. The price is really surprising as well. It's only $6.99 a month in the U.S. And so for that price, you're going to get, you know, this huge back catalog of, of Disney movies and TV shows, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, some things that you've seen before, um, but also some new content, some original stuff that's being produced just for Disney+. Plus. Um, the Mandalorian is a, going to be the first live-action Star Wars TV show, and it will be exclusive to Disney+. Plus. Uh, I, I really think that alone is going to get a bunch of subscribers to this. Like, I, I just know like you know, the, the huge number of Star Wars nerds out there. Like, It's just a no-brainer they're going to sign up for Disney+, Plus to watch The Mandalorian. Uh, there's going to be new Marvel content, new original shows uh, there, which is part of the reason why... Uh, Disney is kind of uh, Disney and Marvel sort of took the axe to all of the the Marvel shows on Netflix. Clearly, you know the the Netflix era of Marvel TV shows is over. Not to return, we're going to enter the era of Marvel shows under the Disney Plus banner. Um, so I look forward to seeing how that turns out. Uh, I'm I'm really pretty bummed about the end of you know Jessica Jones and Luke Cage and Daredevil and all that. I, I I really am going to miss those shows. I'm going to miss those characters. I'm going to miss the cast they put together for those shows. Um, I, I really don't like that decision, but I understand it. I understand why they've concluded those shows. I understand the business reasons for it. I just don't like it. <laughs> but it is what it is. Anyway, Disney Plus uh, looks like a no-brainer for pretty much anybody. I mean, you know, if, if you're not into Star Wars, you're probably into Pixar stuff. If you're not into Pixar stuff, you're probably into, uh, you know, National Geographic or like there's just so much that's going to be part of Disney Plus that it feels like, you know, it's just going to be a no-brainer to subscribe to this. Kind of like everyone pretty much is subscribed to Netflix. You know, like it, it's it's hard to find people that don't watch something on Netflix and find value there. And I feel like Disney Plus will be the same thing. So it kind of feels like, you know, in, in the near future, like for, for people subscribing to services, you know, there's Disney Plus and there's Netflix. And then there's kind of everyone else duking it out for, you know, second place there. <laughs> That's what it feels like to me. Um, you know, maybe there will be a few people that are only on Netflix or only on Disney Plus, but it really feels like those are going to be the two huge behemoths that everyone else has to contend with. Uh, last up, an article here at Fast Company about uh, sort of this whole phenomenon in China with uh, tech workers working crazy long hours, and there's even a nickname for it, 996, basically working from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. six days a week. Uh, apparently, this is a thing. Uh, it's it's not sort of officially happening, but it's just kind of unofficially what is expected of workers at some companies in some cases. 
And uh, people are really up in arms about this, both in China and around the world. Um, but then Jack Ma, the CEO of Alibaba, came out and kind of said, like, hey, uh, you know, working working these hours is actually a blessing. And some people are really grateful for the work. And, you know, if you love what you do, don't feel like work, that kind of thing. And everyone is like, okay, this is absolutely ridiculous. Like, you know, maybe you can justify, like, you know, on on very few occasions, a, a sort of all hands on deck thing. Like if there's some major product rollout coming up and there's a bunch of problems and everyone has to scramble to, you know, make the deadline and you have to work extra hours, like, sure, that that is arguably understandable. But, you know, just expecting workers to just kind of on a regular basis put in these crazy long hours and get almost no time off, like that's unsustainable. You're going to have burnout. You're going to have people with health problems. It's also extremely ableist because you're, you're essentially saying that young 20-year-olds who are single and have no life are the only people that are really valuable to the company as workers. You know, if you're older, if you have kids, if you have some health issues, if you have whatever, so you literally cannot work. 996, <laughs> you, know, you know, now you're, you're lesser than other workers at the company. Anyway, there's just so many problems with this crazy work schedule. And so, you know, I'm glad a lot of people are up in arms. I'm glad people are pro- protesting in China. Um, it's a little difficult to protest this in China because uh, some of the petitions and some of the news articles have been blocked by censorship there. Uh, I'm not entirely sure why, though, because uh, basically the the state-run newspaper in China, or you know, one of them anyway, uh, they they've had an op-ed saying that this is not good, that you know, business leaders like Jack Ma uh, shouldn't be taking advantage of their workers like that. Um, so I, I I don't think this issue is sort of a cut and dry like, oh, that's China for you. I, I think there's you know, there's a lot of good reason that people within China are against this 996 idea. Um, But it'll be interesting to see how this plays out in the next couple months. You know, it'll be interesting to see if there's more government regulation around these kind of work schedules, if there's just enforcement of existing regulations that were being ignored. Uh, I'm, I'm really curious to see how this plays out. All right, that concludes the link segment for today. And finally, we have the creators of the week. Yes, not creator, creators, plural. Uh, I'd like to share with you a link to Noah Bradley's website and to Rachel Bradley's website. Noah and Rachel are a newlywed couple, and they are both artists, and you can go check out both of their websites. Um, I think this is really cool. I think it's always fun to see uh, people on the internet who are couples doing art together and talking about their, their joys and their frustrations and their challenges being content creators on the internet as a couple. Um, Noah's art is really, really awesome. Rachel's art is really, really awesome. Uh, I love Rachel's kind of Art Nouveau style. It reminds me of Alphonse Mucha, uh, a really great Art Nouveau illustrator, um, designer of posters and so forth. Uh, I'd love to see more of her work in that genre. I love Noah Bradley's fantasy art. Uh, he's been doing a bunch of art for a game in the works, um, and it, that's really cool to see. I originally found out about Noah first uh, via Mastodon, which is cool. So I have a link in the show notes to his Mastodon account. Rachel isn't on Mastodon, as far as I'm aware, but she's on Twitter, so there's a link to that. 
Uh, Creators Chat is their kind of YouTube slash podcast show together where they talk about, you know, different um, different goals or challenges or whatever with their with their art and being a content creator. Uh, I haven't really listened to any of those yet. I actually just found out about it as I was doing research for this show. Uh, so I look forward to digging into those episodes. They look really fun. Um, anyway, I just think Noah and Rachel are awesome, and I am excited to share them with you in this segment, The Creators of the Week. And that's it for episode 28. Next week will be episode 29, and then after that will be 30. And man, I am excited to even have gotten this far with the show. Uh, This is by far the highest number of episodes I've recorded for any podcast I've ever done. And I see no reason to stop. In fact, I'm even more excited about doing regular episodes now than I was when I started. So this is this isn't getting. Yeah, I'm not at that point, you know, that you sometimes get with creative things where you know you're excited when you first start it and you get a little ways in, and then it's like, ah, this is a drag. I don't know if I should continue doing this, and you kind of hit a slump. Um, I'm having the opposite experience here with the podcast. I'm even more excited about doing it now. I want to put more energy into it. I want to record them regularly. So uh, so I really appreciate you listening to this show and uh, being a subscriber through Apple Podcasts or Overcast or Castro or whatever your podcast player of choice is. If you haven't yet subscribed, just go to jaredwhite.com slash podcast and you'll find out all about it there. And I have a Patreon as well at patreon.com slash essentiallifejared if you want to be a financial backer for the show here. I appreciate each and every one of you. All right. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you next time. Bye.